Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hey everybody, Anya here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. It is a beautiful, calm, sunny morning in Topanga, California. It's just sort of starting to sink into me that I will be leaving this place um, pretty much indefinitely. Not to say that I won't come back to LA, but this chapter in my life is definitely coming to a close. Um, I sort of always knew that it would be temporary. I moved up to LA after living in San Diego for a while and getting divorced and moved up here because I knew the most people up here and sort of wanted to move the least amount of distance at the time. Um, Just sort of take a step and hope that the next step would (laughs) materialize while I was doing that. Um, So it's been an interesting time for me. I, uh, I have an apartment that I haven't really lived in for a while. I've uh, had a friend that's been staying there, so all my things are there, but I haven't really been there. And so now I'm sort of going back and looking at all the stuff I haven't really touched (laughs) for the past like six months, six, seven months, um, and going through it and deciding what I want to keep, which is not much. Um, But it's been an interesting experience. I've I've reflected a lot about it in spending some time in that space now. Um, For those of you that haven't been following for a long time, basically, I found this beautiful apartment in Topanga when I knew I was moving up to LA. I've always really not liked LA, and I said I would never live here. Um, But at the time, it made the most sense. But I I knew I had to pick a place in LA that was the least LA possible, Um, So I sort of set my sights on Topanga and found, was really, really, really lucky in finding a really gorgeous place that I um, am incredibly grateful that I found. I don't really know what I would have done. Um, But I moved up there and the plan was to kind of stay there and figure my shit out. It was like the place where I lived where I was in the darkest emotional and physical time of my life. And I remember moving there and it being such a mismatch because I got there and I was like, this is like everything around me looks perfect. Like this is the life I want to be living now. I've sort of got out of a bad situation um, and I can do anything I want. And I'm living in this amazing apartment and like the world is my oyster. And yet I felt incredibly stuck. I was 
struggling with a lot of health issues. If you want to know about that, I just recorded a solo episode a couple episodes ago, walking through basically my lifelong journey with health and how it relates to emotional triggers and um, all of that. So it was a weird thing because I I felt kind of resentful. I, I felt like I was angry at the universe that like I finally did what I needed to do and yet there was still more work to be done in figuring out my health and why I had made such sort of self-destructive decisions for myself, um, specifically in my 20s. So it was like this, like I could see, like there was a world that I knew I could enter when I was ready and I could like see it and feel it and taste it, but I couldn't get there yet. It was sort of like the sensation of when you have a dream and you it's as if you're like running underwater. It's like, it's right there. Like I know how to do this. I'm moving my limbs, but I'm not like, I just can't get there yet. I just have to wait. Um, so that apartment was very much like the waiting place. I spent a lot, a lot of time there alone. Um, which was a learning experience in and of itself to, um, really live alone for the first time. And I started out feeling like I need to make this work in the sense that this needs to feel as good as it does to live with someone else. And I think after I did that for a while, I realized that's nonsensical. I think loneliness and isolation is a really cruel thing and unnatural for our species. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to be on our own from time to time but having to take care of a home, work for yourself, um, or support yourself, cook food, buy healthy ingredients, like work out, it just didn't feel good. And um, I got mad at myself about that for a while. Like, why doesn't this feel good? This means you're codependent. This means you're going to, you know, live with someone just because you're afraid to be alone or you don't like being alone. Um, and I was really happy to sort of not feel that way at the end of it and realize that my desire, which was like felt innate and authentic was not, you know, a pathology and that it made perfect sense that I wanted to be around people that I loved and be supported by friends and family, whether that was, um, biological family or chosen family. Um, so it proved a lot of points to me, proved me wrong in a lot of ways. And I also suspected that that place you know, I kind of told myself at the time, like, okay, you you know, you're not where you want to be yet. Um, but use this place as a place where you can heal. And I would sort of envision what it would feel like to be healed and sort of return to my previous state of, uh, relative health and happiness. And, um, finally kind of have the life that I wanted. And to be honest, that never really happened. Um, you know, obviously I never returned anywhere. I got to a new place and that new place was, you know, that new place that I got contained history. So that couple of years that I was in that apartment, I had a lot of pain, um, reliving and coming to terms with past traumas, going through new, new traumas with my crazy health issues. Um, And so the place that I got to was one that was new and evolved 
and definitely full of a lot of love and joy, but yet still contained all of the pain. So when I go up to that apartment now, it's not like this, like, oh, wow, I healed here and it's beautiful. And now I'm living the life that I want. It's like, I'm an adult now. And my joy is really sort of dependent upon and um, wrapped up in all of the the sorrow and the grief and the pain. And of course, that makes it more beautiful in many ways. You know, that's the beauty of grief and of what people say all the time, like you have to experience the bad stuff to, you know, experience the good stuff. And I'd heard that and been like, well, that sounds, I get that, but I don't really understand what it feels like experientially until I did. Um, so where I came out was a place of much greater depth and of much deeper knowing of myself and of the world and, um, a greater capacity to love and a greater capacity to experience this planet and the creatures that are on it. However, it's cannot be unraveled from the pain. And I feel like very sort of metaphorically, the apartment that I have um, is the embodiment of that. It's a gore. I mean, anyone that goes up there is like, holy shit, this is so beautiful. There's like 180 degree views of the canyon. It's at the top of the hill. You know, it has southern exposure. You see the entire path of the sun. You see the moon rise. You can see the stars. You know, there's houses around it, but you can't see any. So it really does look like you're kind of by yourself in the middle of nowhere with this huge porch and the birds. And it's just breathtakingly gorgeous. But emotionally, to me at least, it feels heavy and deep and profound in ways. Um, so that it's just been a really, it's been an interesting reflection on like what you expect something to be versus what it turns out to be, you know. And I have a lot of like reverence for that and appreciation um, and respect for the fact that things don't turn out the way you expect them to most of the time. Um, and certainly being in that place taught me that lesson amongst many, many others. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting not just to be back at the apartment, but just sort of to reflect on this time period in my life. I um, uh, went on a walk uh, yesterday in Santa Monica, and it was a walk that I... Once I right when I moved out of San, uh, out of San Diego, I moved in with my mom for a little while. Who moved? Who lives in San, uh, Santa Monica? And uh, that's where all of this sort of terror began. And it it was really hard for me to leave the house. But I got myself together and left the house and came up with this walk that I did through the neighborhood um, when I could stand to get out of bed. And I did that walk yesterday, and I haven't done that walk in a couple of years, not since, I guess, 2017. So that was also an interesting reflection on time and change. And I actually had a really, a moment that literally stopped me in my tracks. I was in San Francisco, and um, I was walking out of a building, and all of a sudden it sort of hit me, this thought of like, I can't believe you got yourself here the arc of my life from 2017 to the end of 2019. Um, it's quite extreme, like polar opposites. 
and the process in getting there was fucking crazy. And, um, yeah, I just, I had this moment of like deep appreciation for the fact that it was even possible, like things out of my control, that it was even possible for me to remove myself from that situation, that I had the privilege and strength to do that. But also just an appreciation for myself that I was brave enough to take those risks and that I sort of violently and maybe sometimes irresponsibly pursued what I needed and what I knew that I wanted without knowing that I would ever get it. You know, having the, having faith was a huge part of that. Like I didn't know what that looked like. I know there, I knew there was a world or there maybe could be a world. I didn't know what was going to be there. Friends, someone to be in a relationship with, like I didn't know, maybe I wouldn't have any of that, but it didn't really matter. I just, I just kept moving. Going backwards wasn't an option. Um, it was pretty amazing. And I, I, you know, I really love, I really love those stories that I hear from people. I really love, you know, I think I've talked about this before that I think what this podcast has become in many ways is a, uh, a telling of that story in as many different ways as possible. So this like exiting out of your previously held beliefs or your life or that which you were, you know, uh, the environment in which you were raised, whether that was religion or just the world of your parents and your hometown and having to come to terms with the fact that those things weren't true to you or didn't resonate for you or were hurting you and people that were supposed to love you weren't loving you in the ways that you needed to be loved. And to come to terms with that is ter terribly traumatic. And then to have the faith to actually try and construct something new is incredibly brave. Um, and I really think that that's the story that keeps appearing on this podcast, um, which isn't surprising, but isn't something that I really planned for when I started it. And uh, this episode with Mary Liz that you will hear today is no different. Um, I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. I, you know, I, I haven't not liked any conversation or episode that I've posted, but there are some that feel especially magical and conversations that I get totally sucked into and enthralled by. Um, this one felt like a vortex for sure. And not only that, but uh, being able to talk to people who then become friends, you know, like that's so fucking cool. And I'm so grateful to have this space and to show you guys that there are other people like you, even if they're far away. Um, it just makes me so happy. And I know I talk repetitively and maybe annoyingly about it, but community and feeling like you belong and that there are other people that are just as weird as you is so important. I just can't get enough of it. I just want to bring everyone together and just make everyone realize that they are loved and quote unquote normal amongst other weirdos. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I hope you enjoy this episode today. Um, I can't wait to talk to Mary Liz more. I really feel like there was so, so much more to say and I can't wait to have her on the show. I feel like I'm at the point in the podcast now where I could have people on for a second time that I've had 
Um, so that's really cool too. It would be exciting to update you guys and have like new evolved conversations with people that you've heard on the show in the past. Uh, I love that. What else? What other housekeeping things? Um, Horror Rapport is finally out in the world. We released our first episode. Uh, you can find it everywhere. So iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, this is a podcast that I'm doing with my friend Aaron. And uh, it's going to be just conversations between the two of us about sex and power and gender and intimacy and eroticism and sort of everything that uh, g- comes off from that. Uh, so lots and lots to talk about. And I think eventually we'll have guests on the show, but for now it's just going to be conversations between the two of us. And we really started the podcast because we didn't feel like there was any podcast like it. And we got kind of frustrated with the mainstream uh, version of a sex podcast, especially as it relates to like being a slut or a whore. We just really didn't resonate with any of it. And similar to me starting this podcast because I didn't hear my voice anywhere, we kind of thought, well, maybe we don't hear our voice anywhere because it's only our voice and we need to start this podcast. So that's been really exciting. Um, I would love for you guys to check that out. It's a place where I will explore, uh, I would say, sex and gender, probably my biggest interest, as I'm sure you've realized in listening to this show. Uh, So it's a place where I can do that at length without bogging down the show with just those topics, although that's not to say that I won't be talking about those things on the show as well. Um, And this is where I'll be doing interviews with people, and that's just conversations. So... If you want to hear more of me blabbing around, blabbing on, um, go check out Horror Rapport and leave us subscribe and leave us a review and tell us what you think. You can um, email us at horrorrapport at gmail.com. And by the way, that's rapport, R-A-P-P-O-R-T. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you. I, I think we're going to be doing a lot of awesome stuff in terms of answering questions and having people send in audio messages. And um, we've got a lot of really fun ideas. So I'm super, super stoked about that. Just want to do all the podcasts. I love podcasts. They're so me. Um, it's been really fun to just talk. <laughs> I like it a lot better than blogging. Um So what else? Uh, If you want to support this show, you can do the same. Tell your friends, share an episode, uh, shoot me a note and tell me who I should interview. Go to your podcast app and subscribe and hit five stars and leave me a review so that the podcast looks legit and that people actually feel like it might be worth listening to. Um, That's most important to me. I have really zero agenda for this podcast or horror poor other than it just reaching as many people as possible so people can feel less alone. So any way that you can help with that in terms of making it look more legit on iTunes or telling your friends is greatly, greatly appreciated. Oh, also, speaking of friends, I am glad that I remembered this. Uh, My friend Andrew, who has an awesome podcast called Monkey Tooth Podcast, he had me on his show a few weeks ago. We recorded in the van by camping light at night on the streets of San Francisco. Um, It was really fun. I love being able to get on the other side of the mic and not have to be as sort of concerned and just relax a little bit because I'm not the one uh, leading the conversation. So he had me on uh, on his show. 
if you want to hear a little bit more about me and my life and um, listen to him ask really great questions, uh, he's so good at what he does. I've listened to about half the episode so far, and he does just an amazing job at editing it and adding music and um, makes me realize I'm a lot lazier than he is. But uh, alas, that's why we have different versions of podcasts, I guess. Um, so yeah, check it out, Monk the Monkey Tooth Podcast. Um, would love to hear what you guys think of that as well. And uh, would love for you to support a wonderful person and a friend of mine and an awesome creative project. Uh, so yeah, I think that's it. I'm going to stop talking now. Enjoy this episode with Mary Liz. I certainly fucking loved this conversation and I will catch you on the other end. All right. I am so stoked to be here with Mary Liz, who I met only in person very briefly in Moab, um, <laughs> Yes, which was a really cool, I mean, we should like talk about Moab because I feel like we both had really fascinating experiences there. Um, but yeah, we met yeah, briefly. Let's, let's talk about Moab. <laughs> we should. <laughs> um, but yeah, we meet. We met briefly in Moab. We had breakfast. We were connected through a mutual friend. Um, and I've been thinking about having uh, Mary Liz and her partner Ryan on the show for a while. It's just Mary Liz today. But that's totally cool too. <laughs> Sorry guys. Um, <laughs> um, and yeah, and since I feel like we've, it was you um were sort of responsible for me having Sasha Sagan on the show I posted that episode last so that was really awesome and exciting um oh I'm so excited to listen I'm so sorry I haven't yet I've been so stoked to hear how that went yeah and it's cool I feel like this will be a very this will be the next episode I post and I feel like it will be quite complimentary to that as well on this kind of like science, spirituality, beauty, earth kick, which... Yes, it's all connected. (laughs) Um, So I guess let's start. I would would love to hear you sort of like describe yourself and what you do, yes, professionally, but also just like where you see your role in this world and and what you're doing. Um, And maybe, uh, yeah, we'll start with that. And then I'll ask another question later. I'm too excited. Well, that sounds <laughs> lovely. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard. It's hard to describe myself, but the good thing is that I've somehow found this way to live professionally what I what I am. <laughs> so um, I'll just start with my profession, and then we can kind of work backwards from there. Um, so I own and co-founded an organization with my partner called Cosmic Perspective. And our mission is to um, inspire hope, elevate empathy, and unite through experiences of awe and wonder, end quote. (laughs) Um, This is my life mission, and it almost always has been. I have always been an optimist, um, but I have experienced some very real things that keep me realistic. Uh, But hope is the only thing that pushed me through and got me through, I mean, the darkest of times. And I just saw a couple of years ago, um, this kind of weird shift, at least in my little bubble, in my world, amongst my friends, this shift in perspective where everyone kind of started to take a dark turn and think about the future in a way that is extremely dark. Um, Because, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a lot of extreme challenges with Um, artificial intelligence upcoming, what on earth is going to happen with that? With space exploration happening, who's going to be a part of that and how does that go? Um, 
And, you know, amongst so many other things, I mean, like the everyday political issues, the uh, families kind of breaking apart. I just, I felt like I was seeing a lot of new polarization and it was evidenced in my own family where, you know, or, or people's families who I'm aware of where suddenly people aren't invited to Thanksgiving, you know, like what's going on. And so um, I, I just realized a couple of years ago that I had this opportunity to show the world what optimism can do. And if you focus on the potential and not the reality of the moment that you're in right now, but what is possible, and if we can all kind of infect each other with that positive optimism, then we have a path forward, right? And, and we have this ability to communicate again and to work towards something beautiful together. Um, so that's why I started Cosmic Perspective um, but what we actually do is actually more difficult to explain because uh, <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't have picked up on all of that from the surface. But um, we started out, so I, I'll start with me. For four and a half years, I was a musician touring, uh, almost four and a half years straight. So I have a band called Twin Limb which by the way, has a song called Anya. And I think I shared that with <laughs> yeah. you, but just to bring that one back up. Um, and we had the great fortune of touring with people like um, Strand of Oaks, Basha Bulat, Jim James, um, who is the lead singer of My Morning Jacket, invited us to be his backing band. And then we also opened for him. And while I did that, while I was on stage, realizing, uh, you know, that there are thousands of people that come every night to have an experience. I realized the extreme responsibility in that role and also the opportunity to say something important or, or to just like help people release whatever worry is on their mind. Um, so that plays a role in what I'm doing today. But at the time that I got this idea, I was a touring musician and uh, I had taken a break from the tour and went down to Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And I fell absolutely in love. Most people go to this area to go to Disney, right? And I, I remember I spent the whole day there by myself. And um, by the end of the day, I had like these giant bags full of all of the gift shop materials. And um, I had this huge smile on my face and I felt like a child coming out of Disney. But something really happened to me there that day. Um, and I wasn't really sure what it was. But while I was there, I saw this beautiful Airstream uh, motorhome that is the actual NASA Astrovan. That's what the astronauts used to be shuttled to the launch pads. And um, I saw that and it just like hit me. Oh my God, I have to sell my house. I have to sell everything I own and I have to get in one of those. And I wanted it to look literally like that. And I, and I need to do space outreach. I need to do, I need to fuse my music with space outreach to tell this uh, story of space exploration as a uniting force. And um, then I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really understand why I wanted to do that outreach, but I just started. I immediately put my home up for sale. I, excuse me, <clears throat> I sold all of my possessions. I 
I got a very modest version <laughs> of a travel trailer. It was a 23 and a half foot Dutchman light that didn't look anything like a spaceship, but I called it my spaceship. And I hit the road, not really knowing what I was doing, but, um, you know, I would tell people, I just, you know, fake it till you make it. I would say, yeah, I'm taking space on tour. I, I'm just, you know, I'm really inspired and you, I'm here in Florida to get a sense of what's going on at the Space Coast. Um, I then at that time was meeting all these journalist friends who work in the space industry. I just deeply embedded myself at NASA and became credentialed media person. And that means that I got to go take cameras to the launch pads. And so these are remote cameras where you set them up, you leave, because no human can be anywhere near the launch pad during liftoff. You gather the footage. But also what most interested me was um, interviewing the people that were part of these missions. So I would interview the scientists, the engineers, and and on some occasions, astronauts about, you know, these missions that we're sending to space. Excuse me. So I fell deeply in love with that process. And as time went on, and after I met Ryan, my partner, uh, right after a rocket launch, we began to really see how powerful this could be as a storytelling method. And uh, that's brought us to where we are today. But I'll, I'll briefly explain how crazy it is that I met Ryan there. Uh, so I don't know if we told you this story when we briefly. met. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, guess, I guess we could spend some time on it. Um, you know, you stop me at any point if <laughs> I begin to ramble on because I get excited about this. But um, so here I was. I had just witnessed the launch of TESS, which is the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, I believe it's the name. And this is this gorgeous astrophysics spacecraft that is currently discovering new exoplanets on an almost daily basis. Um, so that was a monumental rocket launch for me. I, I think of it uh, very fondly. Because I think it was maybe the day after that launch is when I met Ryan. So all of the space journalists invited me. They're like, you, you know, you're new. Let's introduce you to everybody. So we met up at this place called Preacher Bar in Cocoa Beach. And we were all sitting around a table and uh, everybody was asking, all right, Mary Liz, what is your story? Who are you? And so I'm, you know, I'm giving him my spiel. I'm like, I'm taking space on tour. And, and at this point, I'd actually been traveling in the trailer for, uh, I think, about six months. Um, at the time, I was actually, like, going through my own little version of astronaut training. So I was uh, camping for free at a drop zone in Sebastian, Florida, and doing ground school, learning how to skydive. Because uh, I figured, you know, you want to be an astronaut you probably need to know how to use your parachute if there's an issue. So I'm telling them this, you know, this whole story and they're like, whoa, this is crazy. I've, I've never heard of anybody that is traveling around full time, taking space on tour. And I was like, yeah. So I showed them my sketches. I, I showed them my entire outline for what I wanted to do. And at the time I was calling it roaming the cosmos. <laughs> and so I'd planned out this whole tour based on the kind of tour that my band used to do. And meanwhile, as I'm saying this, I see this guy just kind of like 
lean forward from behind this person that had previously eclipsed him. (laughs) And as he leans forward, I'm like, who's this guy? What's going on? He's like, hey, um, what you're doing is super unique. It's really cool. I too have been (laughs) uh, taking space on tour for a year and a half in my dark sky observatory. It's called Voyager 3. And I'm like, who is this guy? What is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, naturally I was terrified of him and it actually took us a couple months to realize how madly in love with each other we were. Um, But I would invite him to dates, but I wouldn't call them dates. I'd, I'd say, I'd like to interview you about science communication. <laughs> at the time, at the time, I was working as an associate producer for Planetary Radio, which is one of the biggest space podcasts out there. And I would offer up little like two to five minute snippets for the episodes. And I wanted to talk to all my new space journalist buddies about what it's like to be a science communicator today. And so we had this whole thing set up and of course I meet with him and, you know, I'm immediately just like, I don't know what to do with myself. And so it just turns into a, you know, hangout until 2am and we're walking on the boardwalk. We're talking about everything we're doing. And then I run away. Like I would just run away at night. It was, it was so funny looking back on it, how silly, (laughs) like I was like a teenager, but, um, yeah, I, I was terrified of him because he was perfect. And I had decided at that moment in my life, you know, I'm, I'm not doing relationships anymore. I'm, I'm doing me and I'm, you know, so it, it took me a minute. And then I actually uh, fell just so madly in love with him and I kind of sank into it. Um, so yeah, long story to explain how we came together. Um, but what Ryan brings to the table and what we're doing is that he is a professional cinematographer. And for much longer than I'd been, he was setting up his cameras at the launch pads. And he's got, you know, iconic images that you would probably recognize. Um, he has, he's the only person that's doing high speed photography. So that means he's getting the super slow-mo footage of the rocket launch. And it's the only stuff you'll see out there. So if you've seen slow-mo rocket launch footage, it's Ryan's. Um, And so, you know, slow-mo or altered perception photography, as he calls it, gives you not only insight into new processes, like it allows you to see shockwaves happening in the plumes, which you could never see with your own eyes or in a normal video or picture. Um, But it also is so beautiful as a storytelling method because it, it requires you to pause, literally. Uh, His footage will take six seconds of real time, real life uh, footage and turn it into six minutes. And so we have a real love for slowing people down. This is something I also am practicing because we live in a hectic world. It's really hard to remember. But, you know, we create awe-inspiring experiences. And this footage is awe-inspiring. But it also just slows you down. Uh, we couple it with gorgeous music, of course, that, you know, begs a certain kind of emotion. It begs a contemplative mindset. 
And so, you know, it's crazy. Like I had this idea of what I wanted to do, not fully knowing the breadth or, you know, even a clear picture of what it looked like, but I knew I, what I wanted to accomplish. I wanted to give people experiences of awe and wonder through experience, through music. And I wanted to tell this really important story. And then here comes this perfect person who's doing exactly the same thing with his art. And so we came together and immediately formed Cosmic Perspective, which has been a thing for a year and a half now. And, you know, every day we're figuring it out more and more. Every day it's growing into this thing that is so much bigger than us. It's, um, it's not at all even attached to us anymore. People have just like come to us saying, I see what you're doing. I want to help. So now we've grown our team, which is um, one of our team members is uh, the mutual friend, Kevin Russell, <laughs> yeah. who put us in touch. Who's also um, been on this podcast. Yes, that's right. And, <laughs> yeah, and honestly, what an amazing episode and what an amazing human, right? Yeah, for sure. I love Kevin. Yeah. So um, Kevin will actually be running our podcast soon. Um, so we're just building this thing and we're really, you know, excited to engage um, more people who are doing far more than we are. You know, we need um, the empathy researchers. This is this is a really big piece for me. I, I really want to understand the science behind awe and wonder. I really want to talk to psychologists about the things that we're doing, but also what is happening to our space travelers. And that that I should pause on that because it's so important. And it really is the thing that drove me out the door. Um, so when I was on tour. I would listen to a lot of podcasts because you get really tired of listening to music all the time, which is a terrible <laughs> thing to say, but it's true. And uh, that's where I fell in love with Planetary Radio, which is so odd because I ended up working for Planetary Radio for two years. Um, but it was there that I discovered my love of space exploration. And I started to really delve in. And as I did, I discovered this phenomenon called the overview effect. Are you familiar with the overview effect? I am, yeah. Yes? But please okay. elaborate on it okay. for our listeners. Great. Yeah. Yes, so for anyone who doesn't know, and actually I might have an updated definition for you. Um, it is a It's a term that was coined in 1987 by a space philosopher and author and historian, Frank White. Frank has recently become one of my dearest friends. We talk every day. And so... He has told me that he's taken 30 years to think about his original hypothesis and definition, and it, it has just now begun to evolve. But the, the definition that you'll find is that it is a cognitive shift in awareness that occurs to astronauts when they're looking at Earth from space. Um, the best way I can explain it is actually through the words of an astronaut that I interviewed and I've interviewed many astronauts about this because I, I read the book. I watched the documentary. There's a short called Overview. Um, there is a long version of that called Planetary. And there's some of the most moving films you'll ever see. It's what got me out the door, like I said. But um, I wanted to verify this information. And so I came down to NASA and I I just hunted down all the astronauts who are 
really eager to talk about this. They're really eager to tell this story. So it's not hard <laughs> to, to ask them to open up about it. Ron Guerin is this amazing, really inspiring astronaut that has some of the most beautiful ways of describing his experience. So Ron, I believe, was a fighter pilot um, when he left for space. And when he got to the International Space Station, he, you know, first of all, there's this element to it where astronauts, um, they spend many years preparing for their duty. Right. And then launch day happens, right? And if you read the overview effect, you'll know that this is all integral to this phenomenon that occurs. Mm. Launch day is a day where you come face to face with the reality that, oh my God, I've spent 10 years preparing for this. Now I might not make it. This is a really important moment because they don't think about that until they're there and they're strapped into a rocket and they think about it and they're like, oh my God, I, I have to be okay with this. And so this is like a, your transformative letting go moment. This is your ego death moment where you're like, all right, I give in. I have faith in the engineers that have put together, faith in myself for making this decision. And the rocket blasts off and it's a very terrifying experience. You're going to, I'll make parallels to other transformative experiences soon, <laughs> but follow me on that one. So Ron Guerin, strapped into a rocket, terrified, gets up to space, and is suddenly weightless. And, and the weightless moment is, I've been told, the most beautiful, ecstasy-filled moment ever. Every astronaut will tell you there is nothing more wonderful than feeling the loss of gravity on your body. It feels natural. It feels like you're going back to a place mm. that you are familiar with. And um, there are a lot of speculations about that, but the truth is it becomes very addicting and you get really upset when you come back home and you feel gravity weighing you down again. But so Ron gets up there, he feels weightlessness, he floats to the window and he is in absolute awe of the beauty of the earth. But not long after, you immediately have all these tasks that you have to do. So you can't spend a lot of time thinking about what you've just experienced. You're already to work. So Ron had a really special um, mission where he had to do an EVA. That's an extravehicular activity where you go outside of the spacecraft. In this case, it was the International Space Station. And he had to do something very unique where he had to be strapped to the end of the robotic arm, the Canada arm. And this is this gigantic robot arm that is, I mean, it's huge. And it basically would swing him over a slow, long period of time to the other side of the space station where the work had to be done. So imagine this. It's floating. The, the ISS floats above us, right? 240,000 miles, or no, no, that's the moon. Anyway, <laughs> 240 miles, something like that. Um, it's, it's above us. And so the view from the space station for the astronauts is to look down at Earth. And so he's strapped to this robot arm that is swinging him away from the space station, essentially. And at the arc of that swing, all he sees is the Earth 
and space. I just and got his, chills. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. And his, and his body, like he can see his hands and he just, you know, it's floating there. And he said it felt like the longest moment of his life. Initially, he was just struck with the intense beauty of the planet. And then it immediately dawned on him how thin the atmosphere is. It's terribly thin. And that is very notice- noticeable in space. This is something... Um, that we all know intellectually, but this is something that uh, the astronauts and Frank White talk about a lot. Once you know it experientially, it's integrated, it's different. And so he had this moment of experiencing the fragility of our atmosphere and the beauty of this, what he calls fragile oasis. That was immediately followed by an intense dissatisfaction with the way that things are because he recognized I am here strapped to the end of this robot arm in space in a spacesuit that protects me from all the radiation and you know the the hostile environment all around me and there's a space station behind me which is full of five other roommates of mine for you know, many years, over 10 years at this point, people have been living and working on the space station consistently. And at this point today, it's been over 19 years. Um, we have the capability to come together with the Russians, with uh, the Japanese, with everybody, Canada, all sorts of governments and commercial industry. And we made this international space station. We are capable of great things, yet there are people on that earth that don't have clean water. There are people on that earth that are starving tonight. There are even people in first world countries that probably won't get a meal or a nice place to sleep tonight. And we've kind of cast them out of our society. And this just, this dawned on him. And he said it was just the most overwhelming realization and immediately turned into a responsibility. And this is, this is a typical story from every astronaut. So you go up there as an engineer, as a fighter pilot, as a test pilot, and you return an artist and a humanitarian just desperate to share this perspective because you realize how powerful it is having experienced it and then to do something about it and to hopefully instill the perspective in people so much that they feel compelled to become humanitarians themselves. So when I heard Ron say that, I immediately incorporated all of his words into our presentation. So we go on tour. We've been for a year and a half now traveling full-time, taking our art and this multimedia presentation on tour to instill this idea, this perspective in people. And we're always building on that. And now we're doing virtual reality. We're doing augmented reality. We're, you know, um, we're organizing huge live events, um, big music festival productions, like whatever we can do to give people a sense of this perspective because we really feel like it's the way to unite people to connect us all and to use the challenge of 
whether it's space exploration or fixing our great problems here on Earth, that challenge is just as, quote, exciting as war for us humans who kind of need that, um, that big challenge. This is why we're so driven to polarization or war or fighting, because we need this, this crazy challenge to push us. We see this as an antidote to that. So if we can give everyone a new sense of empathy, which the overview effect has been stated to do, everyone says it's an elevated empathy. Uh, it's, a, it's a new awareness of our connection to the universe. It is something that binds us all together on earth. You feel like you are the sensing element for all of humanity and it's your job to come back and shout from the mountaintop what you've seen. And so I've, I've made it my life mission to shout from down here and uh, hopefully bring that overview effect down to earth through art, through experiences of awe and wonder. So... It's an amazing answer. And now yeah, very long answer. Other questions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to say, like, this morning before, like, while I was preparing for the interview, I um, was watching a bunch of your videos. And, oh, cool. <laughs> and was totally, like, moved to tears in a way that I don't think I expected to be. Um, wow. I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting, and I, I'd love to hear you talk about this, too. Like, I, I think delivery and intention is so important because I do think there's a lot of, you know, just growing up and listening to the news. Like it's, it was just like a very sort of stale scientific, like, um, sort of one note expression of what was going on, but there wasn't a lot of talk about like, well, what does this actually mean? And, um, you know, I think also maybe nowadays too, to pair something that's so civilized and advanced and technological with feelings of like really intense, pure connectivity to the planet and other people is like a strange paradox to kind of (laughs) embrace, you know? Um, But I thought it was quite beautiful. And I think what you're doing makes a whole lot of sense to me. Like it is sort of the bridge between both of those things. Um, Going back to like when you went to the space station or started listening to planetary radio, like was science or space an an interest of yours in the past? Sort of just like enter, go there thinking like, I don't know what this is going to be. And like all the sort of circuits started coming together and it made sense to you. Like what was, what drew you into that space and what were you sort of like surprised by, or what did you learn from immersing yourself in that world? Beginning. I love I love this question because the answer is so odd. Um, so I grew up in an evangelical Christian community. We were we the family were Southern Baptist, um, hardcore Southern Baptist. So literal um, biblical people, meaning the creation of the earth took seven days, right, right. or the universe. <laughs> um, so I grew up in that household, and then I went to this school called Christian Outreach School, and uh, oh, I almost wish I could just erase it. I went to this place. I went to the school in the middle of nowhere in yeah. Missouri, and um, it was an evangelical school, and we never had one true science class ever, never once. Um, it, that was an extremely strange educational process. We had not history, but Old Testament, 
we had a, a class called Christian Instruction, which, you know, covered the New Testament. Um, we had worship service. And if the Holy Spirit took over, that would take over the rest of the day. Um, if, if somebody got caught smoking weed in the bathroom, which happened once, um, the entire school would shut down and we would just be speaking in tongues and like putting oil over the doorways in the form of a cross, like the Passover. Anyway, so it was a really odd education and upbringing. And so I never once learned anything about chemistry. I never learned anything about physics, nothing. And so I ended up dropping out. We found out later, um, my poor sister, who's uh, a bit older than I am, graduated, tried to go to a community college and found out that this school was not accredited and her, her diploma was not a real thing. So time went on. I tried to go to a public school. I was so lost. I felt like everybody was speaking Chinese. I ended up dropping out. And so I spent from... 16 to about 18, really struggling with homelessness. Um, kind of, I, I left the house. My mom moved away. I left the house. My dad and I had a terrible relationship at the time. And so I was just like caught in this like storm, but I was going to the library teaching myself programming. I don't know how that happened, but, um, I, I somehow found a way. I guess that was like the hope that got me through everything, you know. And it took me a while to get on my feet. Um, of course, I turned to music, which is how I became a musician. I was a super angsty, hardcore punk rocker writing political songs and like totally opposite of who I am today. But it was it was really good for me at the time. Um, so I ended up, after getting back on my feet... Uh, I became a photographer and that didn't work out. I wasn't very good at that. And then I became a designer. And then I realized I could incorporate my programming with design and I became a web developer. And so I spent 10 years as a web developer. And then my band took off and we were able to tour for four and a half years. So here we are. I am at this point in my early 30s and I'm obsessed with science all of a sudden because I discovered a one Carl Sagan. I had never heard of Carl Sagan until my late 20s or early 30s. I think it was my early 30s. So really special that Sasha Sagan is kind of what connected us yeah. here today. Um, but I, I was just really, like you said, I, um, first of all, I never, I wasn't really allowed to consume a lot of the stuff that you probably were, but what I did was so dry. I mean, any kind of science information that was spewed at me was very dry, not practical. I didn't know how it would ever be put to practice and I didn't believe it for the majority of my life. I spent 18 years thinking that it was all a big lie. And so, um, I, at, uh, I guess it was my, maybe I was 30 when I started this meetup called the Louisville Science Meetup. Because uh, I was like, oh my God, science is amazing. Do you guys know about this Carl Sagan guy? <laughs> and so I need to talk to somebody about this. So I had this like, you know, monthly meetup with the most beautiful humans. And we were all adults who had just kind of really discovered our extreme love or just like wanted to talk about our extreme love for science, even though we weren't practicing scientists. Um, but we ended up making particle detectors and like, 
you know, doing color theory uh, surveys and experiments with kids. Um, so I, I started to really fall in love with the process of science as a way of understanding this beautiful nature that surrounds us. Um, and it was really all through Cosmos. Uh, Carl Sagan's Cosmos is one of the most stunning productions to this day, in my humble opinion. I, I don't think that anyone has touched it since. And I really miss his style today. And I am not the only one. I'm sure you and Sasha talked about this. Yeah. But um, he was so inspiring. The more that I get to know these people in the space industry, every single one of them will tell you, Carl Sagan inspired me to be a science communicator. I'm always, I myself, am always watching his lectures because he's so good at making a point that's really, that could be polarizing, but without polarizing the issue. He has this way of being warm and inviting. And I didn't feel like for the longest time, because of my education, my lack thereof, I was really um, scared. I was really, um, I didn't want to interview astronauts. I was scared that I would be seen as stupid, unintelligent. And, you know, I thought, mm, they're, they're, they're too good for this discussion, right? But it was really Carl that, um, that it took to make me feel comfortable in my intelligence. He had this way of, of kind of respecting me, not dumbing things down at all, but presenting things in a way that was practical and inviting, and then giving me the um, ability to kind of think my way through it and meet him halfway. And so when that happened and I started the science meetup, I started to gain confidence. Like, I can make a particle detector. This is amazing. I'm, a, I'm able to talk about muons now in a way that I couldn't before. So I started to really, you know, just release all the fear around, uh, you know, the feeling of being stupid or something. Um, I also discovered that there was a scientist, I think her name was, um, oh, was it Mary? Oh gosh, I'm going to have to find the name and send it to you. But she discovered XY chromosomes and she started her scientific education at the age of 35. She discovered XY chromosomes at the age of, I think it was 40. So that gave me a lot of um, hope for my own future. So I just delved in and I'm a risk taker because I've been through everything and I just like, what can I lose? You know, is how I feel about it. Like just dive in, do it wholeheartedly. So amidst the fear, I should say, I just delved in and I was like, hi, I'm here. I want to interview you about this mission and I want to talk about, you know, your amazing alpha spectrometer, magnetometer, like, you know, I didn't know anything about any of the missions that were going to space. I didn't understand the rockets. I didn't understand the instruments, but I would look it up and I would like, you know, find out how to pronounce the names of things. And then I just tell them like, I don't understand this. Explain this to me. And it was the best way that I could have ever learned. And in only two years, I am now someone that people ask about these missions and how these things function and rocketry. Rocket science literally is something that I am <laughs> so immersed in that I enjoy talking about. So um, I, I just think it's a beautiful testament to, you know, what your mind is truly capable of. So I, I love to share this story. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
reminds me because Kevin talked about this as well, that there was this sort of transfer from this sort of belief in, you know, for him, it was Mormonism, right? This mm-hmm. like larger than me kind of a thing, but there was this transfer from that to this sort of like awe and wonder created around science, which mm-hmm. I feel like sounds sort of similar to you as well. Um, which is interesting, right? Because there's this world that we live in where these two things are seen to be at odds with one another. Um, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like to me with both you and Kevin, and we, you know, I talked to Sasha about this a lot as well, that, you know, I, I sort of, I, I was, we were talking about the word spirituality, um, and I've had a Mm -hmm. interesting complex journey with my own spirituality, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I've sort of landed on is that, to me, it's like connectivity. It's like whatever the thing is that you do that allows you to be more connected to the people and the world around you. Um, and that can look like a myriad of different things. Um, but I, I would love for you to like expand on your, you know, experience of sort of belief and what you sort of define as on wonder and how you know what you've seen being in this scientific world because it sounds like to me you're like this very thoughtful complex person um and how do you kind of like manage those potential conflicts or or do you see them yeah what's really interesting is that the pendulum always swings that is a lesson that i've learned over the course of my 35 years So I went from being extreme on the evangelical side. And just to give you and the listeners a really good idea what that looked like. If you've ever ever seen the documentary Jesus Camp, yeah, (laughs) I can recite everything those kids say. So that was my school. That wasn't just a summer camp. That was for me everyday life. Yeah. So um, it took me 18 years to understand to kind of like snap out of it, even amidst homelessness, even amidst like drug addiction, for some reason, I clung on to those ideas because I mean, we all need, we need it. This is, we need connection. I love that you've pointed that out because it's, it's enlightening for me. I think you really figured something special out. Um, and so I held on to that for 18 total years. And then there was just this one day where I was sitting in my apartment alone and it was a moment of pause. This is why I believe in moments of pause because I think that we all have internal compasses and we simply have to create the space and time for them. So here I was after a chaotic 18 years and just like this really rare moment maybe even a full day, I think, where I was alone and I was sitting in silence and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my God, I don't believe anything that I've ever been told. And it was soul crushing. It was the most depressing 24 hours of my life to think that maybe I had been brainwashed. You know, I took this, this, um, I'm talking about the pendulum on one side and then hitting the other side right now. I I was so upset. So 24 hours go by and then all of a sudden I feel this intense liberation, this idea that, you know, my whole life has gone terribly. I had dealt with anxiety, 
depression on a massive scale, so, uh, this trigger warning, suicidal uh, attempts. Um, I had um, eating disorders of various kinds. I didn't want to live. I had no will to live. And this was the majority of my experience in all of my life. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, I've been praying to find a way out of this and just kind of waiting around, which, you know, not all religious people have that tendency, but I certainly did. I think we did in our community. And when I realized that I could take initiative for my own life and responsibility for my own life and not wait around for answers, oh my God, like the, all the portals in the universe opened up and I was just like, oh my God, I, I can do anything. I can set my sights anywhere. I mean, I'm at the bottom of the barrel right now, so it doesn't matter what happens, right? So I can just like shoot for the stars. So I really think that like all of my hope and optimism came from this moment. Like I had to be at the very bottom of the barrel to understand, oh, well, if there's this bottom, then there's some height and like I should just go for that one instead. And so I did that. And um, that's when... I began to just take major risks. I began to travel. I know I'm, you know, not directly answering your question, but I'm getting there. I um, love it. It's all perfect. <laughs> and so um, while I'm on this crazy journey, like a child with my eyes open for the very first time, I'm discovering colors I didn't know existed. I'm discovering things about my my brain. I didn't know I could use uh, my physical abilities. So I did everything. I did parkour. I did. I uh, was a weightlifter for a time. I, um, I became a very successful programmer. And then that, that position took me across seas. I lived in Spain for three and a half years. I basically just like said yes to everything. And that was a really good thing for me. So um, while I was in Spain, that was where it really hit me. That was my first beginning uh, introduction to true awe and wonder. Because there, I had no idea what to expect. I had never been really anywhere outside of this small area of Missouri. And then suddenly, and then, you know, Kentucky. And then suddenly, here I am in Spain, and nothing looks anything like the way I've seen it before. And I think that's a, a really important aspect of awe and wonder is that you have to be totally curious. You have to be totally open. And sometimes the art just has to force that into you or out of you. Um, so here I am walking around the most gorgeous mountains I've ever seen and the most pristine lake I've ever seen and these animals, these mountain goats I'd never seen. And, and you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I feel so young. I feel like a child. I feel alive like I've never felt before. And I was constantly crying from joy. And, and this is, by the way, the same feeling I get at every rocket launch, at every every time I get to meet with an astronaut and they tell me their story of the overview effect and they kind of transfer it to me <laughs> by proxy emotionally, um, I, I cry out of joy 
I drop to my knees often during these experiences. And that to me is the visceral reaction to I'm experiencing awe. I'm experiencing a special moment of wonder. And it feels like this portal has opened up and the universe is revealing itself to me. This is how it feels. Um, So interestingly, my journey eventually leads, as you know, to making music and doing that professionally. And I say professionally only because we toured, you know, but, but the truth is I, I'm still in a band with two of the most beautiful humans. And it's a really rare thing that you can ever find anyone to just be creative with, um, to feel like you can be that open with, um, it, it, that's very, very special. And so, uh, I, I began to make music with them. And as I became more comfortable and open, it was another version of the portal that thing would open up and this thing would emerge, this song would emerge that none of us could have created on our own, but that just happened because we were all open together. And and when that song emerges and you can feel this flow with these two other beings, that is an experience of awe and wonder that I can't describe. And so the same thing happens when you're on stage. It's a different feeling and you have to get over a lot of fear but once you get past the fear and you just like sit back into it, then you can see the crowd and you can feel their energy and you can see the tears or whatever it or the, the, you know, smiling faces and you're all experiencing awe and wonder together. Oh my God. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm on this journey, like not really understanding at all what's going on, but picking up on these aspects, these things that seem really important. And I really believe that these moments are the reason that we're alive. I I truly believe that this is what it's all about. So this is one reason why I simply love travel because you see places like Moab, which we can get back to. We have to get back to Moab. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, And, and, you know, there's another experience. Um, And so, you know, that I should also say... Speaking of Moab, the dark skies, which is another thing that we film and put into our our productions, most people have never seen the Milky Way. And when you can see it with your own eyes and just like lay there and, and consider the vastness of the universe and, you know, our ability to witness it, um, it it's, it's completely... Um, awe-inspiring. There's no other word for it. So anyway, here I am picking up on all of this, going through my strange journey, and then I end up at NASA, and I'm talking to all of these people, and I'm so into science. So my pendulum went from, you know, the one side of the super religious uh, community, and, you know, now it's over here, and I'm, I'm this individual, and I'm out there traveling alone, and I'm, I'm, you know, discovering science for the first time, and it's Science is this really strict way of thinking about your experiences. And like I said, it is the best framework that we have to observe the natural world. So here I am talking to all of these astronomers, like people who are discovering the connectivity of this beautiful universe and talking about it in this really scientific way. Mm-hmm. Not always dryly, by the way. I, I feel like many people in the space industry are kind of more, uh, you know, the pendulum is a little closer to the center. Um, 
But, you know, in some cases you talk to a lot of scientists and it's just, you know, like these crazy seemingly dry facts until you put it into this beautiful production and suddenly it's, it sounds really engaging. And, um, but what I, what I mean to say is that my, my pendulum was over here and I was, I was really getting into this like super skeptical way of thinking, which I think is really healthy and it's really important and we need to be thinking logically. Meanwhile, (laughs) uh, right after I had met Ryan, I discovered the power of psychedelics and that, uh, that opened up an entirely new portal that is completely indescribable. Um, so here I am, you know, uh, fairly healthy, 30 something in my journey. And, uh, I, I'm, I've got PTSD, of course, symptoms. I, I experienced a lot of trauma in my young life. And this, this experience that I had, um, it was not one of those recreational psychedelic experiences that people talk about, though I had experienced that in the past. This was very new. This was set with intention. This was, um, me having heard from other scientists the power of psychedelics for dealing with PTSD and trauma and me actually time traveling back to my moments of trauma and being able to actually re-experience them in a new light with a new perspective. And I, I scheduled sessions of these regular check-ins, these regular journeys and I am like a new human. I mean, this was two years ago. I'm like a new human today. And there was one particular session where I know that I experienced the overview effect in my own way. So then that kind of changed the way that I talked to the astronauts. And I began to realize, oh, wow. Like you talk to a scientist who studies the stars and they will talk about how everything is connected, how we are made of star stuff. You know, they'll, they'll straight up tell you, um, you know, our atoms were prototyped in ancient stars and, you know, the, the Big Bang was a singular point in time and then everything came from that. I mean, this is literally the idea that everything is connected. This is intellectual knowledge. When you talk to astronauts who have had this experience in space, they, if you listen really closely, something that Frank White has discussed with me recently, and that's why I said the, the definition of the overview effect is now changing a little, it's that if you listen closely, they're not just talking about the way that they see the earth from space. They're talking about the way they see the earth in space as this one point in this vast universe. And what they would do is look out in the stars and think to themselves, I'm no longer of the planet I am of the cosmos. I am totally connected to everything around me. This is, the spacecraft is made of the same stuff that I'm made of, that the planet is made of, that those stars are made of. Whoa. And when they say it, you see the experiential knowledge come through. And it is the same as if you've had one of these major, transcendent, transformative, whatever you want to call psychedelic experiences that gives you that experiential knowledge where all of a sudden 
you're looking out of your eyes thinking, oh my God, I am the cosmos knowing itself right now. I am a way for the cosmos to know itself. This, this is literally, these are words from Carl Sagan. But you, you, I've heard those words for so long. Well, not that long, but they've always touched me. Like, oh, that's a really cool way to talk about us living beings that are going around looking at the universe and observing it. But when I had my experience, I, I suddenly was like, oh my God, I, I can see it now. Intelligence is like this emergent thing that has come from billions of years of evolution. And I think it's my responsibility to experience. I think that's it. This is what this is all about, to experience and to share and to connect with others so that we grow stronger together and that we can do more of this together. And for me, that is what space exploration is all about. So I know that that was a very winding way of answering a more pointed question. Um, but, you know, just to explain that I feel like the pendulum swings and now I'm seeing that, you know, maybe you don't believe in a particular kind of um, higher power or, you know, a God, whatever. But, but I feel like this is the most spiritual endeavor I've been on. I simply have never felt this spiritual in my entire life. And um, the astronauts often come back saying this was the most spiritual experience I've ever had. And some of them were religious and it made them want to adapt their religions to this new experience. Some of them were not and they became like Edgar Mitchell. Um, he came back and he he started um, the Institute of Noetics, I believe it is. There's a, a place called the Earthrise Retreat Center where they essentially gift this perspective through meditation and through nature. Um, there are just countless organizations that have been started by astronauts that try to return the spiritual feeling to this endeavor. Um, as far as the, the scientists that I talk to, a lot of astronomers have the same kind of feeling about them. Um, physicists, especially like especially quantum physicists or theoretical physicists, they they tend to really love um, thinking about the connectivity of everything, thinking about the implication of their findings in the rest of the natural world that we can perceive. Like, I mean, there's so little that we can perceive. In fact, what is it? Um, we can only see two to five percent of our universe. The rest is dark matter, which I'm putting in air quotes because. We don't know what that is. We can't observe it. We don't know what dark energy is. We just insert it because the calculations don't make sense without it. Um, you know, why is the universe expanding? Well, let's put some dark energy in there. I don't, and we're constantly trying to capture these particles so that we can observe dark matter and truly understand what's going on. But the truth is we see so little and we, we can only observe in a certain spectrum. And even with our most advanced telescopes looking in infrared back through time, there's such a limit to what we can see and observe. And so I, I simply love melding the two, you know, endeavors, the spiritual and the scientific, because I think they can help inform one another. And I think they can give us that sense of, hope that we all desperately need and they are not they should never be this disconnected polarizing thing right. it makes no sense to me and so that that essentially is what i hope to do is to 
bridge the gap between those two things. Yeah. yeah, I love that. It's I'm sitting here, by the way, on my desktop computer is a <laughs> photograph of a sunset in Moab, like against the red rock. Oh. Um, and I talked about this a bit in my podcast with Sasha too. I had this, I'm just going to retell this story because I think it's worth retelling. Um, I mean, one, like this photograph and this moment in particular to me, like that was such a stunning place that provides such an intense history and perspective on like our place on mm-hmm. earth mm-hmm. um you know geologically just like chronologically like it was mind bending to try to like understand all of these things and just standing there as a person with a couple of other people watching the sun sort of set and the mountains on the other side of the valley light up and just get so bright like we were all kind of talking and chatting and every single one of us went silent it was just like all our breath was taken away, every single one of us. Um, and I remember thinking afterwards, like that was one of the most spiritual experiences that I've ever had. Just like the stillness of observing the net, the beauty of the natural world. Like that was like, Oh, um, yes. And, uh, you know, and I think like, it's fascinating to hear you. Uh, and anyway, back up the story, this other experience that I had, it was sort of near the end of the van trip that I took over the summer and we had a fire going and there was a full moon and, you know, like because of science, because of how it works, the, whenever there's a full moon, it, it, it rises just as the sun sets. So it's always like you have the perfect time, um, to, to view the most beautiful fullest moon, right? Like when it's, when it's not full, it comes up later earlier, whatever it is. And I just sort of like blurted out, like, isn't it amazing that like when there's a full moon, it, it, it rises just at the perfect time. Like, <laughs> and someone said, yeah, well, that's because, you know, it's full and the sun's setting and, you know, it's oppositional and all this stuff. Um, and, and of course I knew that, of course I knew the scientific explanation for why the moon in its fullness rises at the perfect time. but in my mind, it was like such a simple example of how those two things can coexist. The like awe and wonder of the fact that like, yeah, I get that it happens, but the fact that it happens is so fucking cool, you know, and makes me feel all the things. Um, You know, just to quickly interject, I think that we're like (laughs) in breaking down the awe and wonder. I think that um, you're really hitting on something, which is that it, that is the experiential knowledge. We can have all the intellectual knowledge in the world, but to experientially know something, I think, is the integration that's required to fully understand, and that and that is what produces that experience of awe. Right, which is, again, obviously a huge part of your mission, right, is to, like, take that experience that sort of only a select number of people have been able to have and share mm-hmm. that more widely. Um, and, yes. and I'd love to return, you said something when you were telling the story about... Um, the overview effect and that situation of like leading up to the launch. Um, and that it sort of is paralleled with other <laughs> similar yes. types of, um, and I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, but I started thinking about and working in the word and experience of perspective, right. That there's definitely a parallel. I mean, I went through this too. I went through it in a slightly different way. I think with like very, very intense grief, Um, Mm. which to me is a parallel, I think to a lot of people or was a parallel to a lot of people's experience of psychedelics, which I haven't done many of, but Mm. it was, it was the same sort of thing of like, 
being ripped away from my own personal reality and sort of like astro projecting over my life and gaining that new perspective um, and then sort of like reintegrating into the world, but having to sort of like start from scratch and redefine everything. Mm. Um, and I'm curious what the parallel, like that faith of, you know, you can't totally ever prepare for a thing. Like you have to just leap and trust and that yeah. that experience in and of itself, you know, with me and my sort of crazy couple of years of figuring all this out, I just at one point had to be like, okay, like, let's, let's go here. <laughs> like, let's do this. Um, and that yeah. just sort of like breaks away a lot of what I think keeps you from being in that place and then opens you up to all, I'd had the same thing. It was like, I was seeing the world in all these different ways. And, um, yeah. so yeah, I'd love for you to, I, to talk more about that and like what your feeling of those parallels are in terms of being launched into space. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really interesting parallel and it's a probably even more appropriately paralleled. Um you know, because it's it's um true loss is not something that you will ever be able to prepare for and it will happen to everyone in your entire life or you, you know. Yeah. Uh you will you will lose the things that you rely on. You will lose absolutely everything. So I think when the astronaut gets strapped into that rocket, they they really have to contend with that. I have made this decision, even with my family that I have and this life that I've built, I've made this decision that I could just, that could result in me losing absolutely everything right now. And that's happened for a select very few astronauts, um, but it's happened. And so it's a real fear. And I think that for me, it, the the psychedelic experience was different um, and more related to the actual weightlessness experience and the connectivity, the feeling of ecstasy when feeling connected to everything. Where um, you know, I've I've certainly experienced a ton of grief in my life, so I really empathize. I I I know that feeling where you just feel like you're no longer inside your own body and you're totally out here. Um, but it does take that Indiana Jones step off of the cliff on the invisible ledge and you trusting yourself to get out of that and get into this beautiful universe where everything is possible and you let go of all of your preconceptions about what life needs to mean to you and letting go of that's why I call it the kind of letting go moment it's um you the astronaut has to let go of the idea that they'll come back to their family they have to let go of the idea of what this has always mean to them meant to them and then you know they are rewarded ultimately by the most beautiful experience that they could not have imagined you cannot imagine that um, and I suppose it's the same for you. And it certainly was the same for me. I, I really thought for a long time that I was trapped at the bottom of a very dark barrel. No one was lending any ropes down. And I had to make this gigantic, strange leap. And then, and only then, could I actually see with my eyes and go out there and experience things for the first time. Um, letting go of your preconceptions is so 
important is to, to realize that you, to humbly go forward and to realize that you don't, you could not possibly have all of the ideas and you can't possibly know how things are going to go. And that's beautiful because to me, the more you do that, the more beautiful things become. I mean, I really, like I said, you can't imagine weightlessness. You can't imagine Moab. You cannot imagine uh, seeing the earth from space or the moon or, you know, you can't imagine the cosmic web when you're looking at the data that you're getting back from your uh, telescopes. And so that's where the beauty lies is like when you really reach for things that are seemingly unattainable and that can mean anything. That doesn't have to mean, you know, exploration in the scientific sense. It could just mean like dancing or singing or like whatever is compelling you. And I think that that's the most um, important thing that we could all be doing is to just kind of follow our foot, our feet one step at a time going forward into the abyss, just being open. And that's where all the magic happens. Um, I saw this speech at South by Southwest by um, a neuroscientist and the creative director of Cirque. So the Cirque Soleil shows. And it was really cool. It was called, I think it was called The Science of Awe. And I wish that I had, you know, had the opportunity to download the slides and like give this presentation everywhere because it was so amazing. What they did was they actually put nodes on uh, EEG. I'm not sure how they read the brainwaves of the people in the audience, but they did a scientific experiment with people in the audience of a Cirque show. And I have, if you ever seen a Cirque show? I have, yeah. Oh my gosh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So awe-inspiring. And what they found was that the moment, like people would come away with elevated empathy and all of the feelings that the astronauts report on a smaller scale, but they did uh, come back, come away with this feeling. Um, the neuroscientist who ran the study actually compared it to a psilocybin trip. He said it was, you know, nearly identical in the way that just on a smaller scale, but in the way that people were processing information and coming away. Um, but the moment that they they saw all of this amazing activity and you know the i guess it was a the part of the brain where they can see all the psilocybin you know taking place it's like your default mode network kind of shuts down so your logical brain dissolves a bit and you're able to just you know observe um that happened when the trapeze artist let go of the bar mm -hmm. and was in midair doing a spin, whatever, you know, it's the moment where you're like, <gasps> you gasp and there's a pause. And that is where your brain is like, oh my God, this is the awe and wonder moment. Right. And then, you know, they safely grasp the next bar on the other side and you're like, oh my God, you know, you need, you obviously need the two things on either end, but you need that mystery in between that opens you up. A, that's that's it it's mystery it's curiosity it is awe yeah no better word for it <clears throat> yeah I love that um it's tying it back again to Moab because why not um I'd love like our generation and our time right now like there it's like a critical time period as far as mm -hmm. the planet is concerned um 
And I think one thing that Moab did, but not just that, I mean, it enforced it and reinforced it, but this feeling of that I feel of fragility um, Mm -hmm. that I think because of the way our culture and society is constructed, that I think people are taken out of what, in my opinion, is a very fragile world that could be really taken away from us or destroyed at any time. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly being in Moab and sort of Moab and seeing that, there was something like, I mean, those mountains were incredible. No, mountains, you can't call them mountains. The erosion was incredible, but it was like you saw the fragility firsthand of like, this is the earth and and crumbling and like regeneration. Um, and so in terms of like the world you're in, I wonder if you experience, like I, this has been, I'm really grateful for this because I do think I saw a lot of space exploration, especially stuff around like Mars um, as sort of indulgent and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really lacking in confronting the grief and the fragility that we face as humans on this planet. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, to be able to sort of see space exploration as a way to sort of like, again, like go outside to come back in to like gain this perspective makes a whole lot of sense to me, but I imagine there's also probably a world within your world that, um, it can be taken advantage of and is indulgent and maybe not coming from the best of intentions. Um, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear like your thoughts on that of yeah. this sort of more me responsible potentially um, way of going about this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about this all the time. In fact, this is the kind of thing that Ryan and I are really passionate about is this is the integration point, right? Like how do we integrate our learnings? You go to Moab, you see the fragility, you see what happens over time, you see how we need to preserve this gorgeous space. How do you integrate that into your daily life? And the same goes for any any kind of observation or space exploration. So um, we, we have held panels before where we bring people from outside and inside the space industry to have these seemingly difficult conversations, but at the end of it, just a beautiful conversation emerges. So from my perspective, um, I've had a lot of people come up to me and not a lot, but a good amount of people will say, is this escapism? Because a lot of people actually frame it that way. I think it's like a marketing thing. They think that helps the agenda. Like we have to leave the planet because an asteroid could destroy us. This is true information, but not to alarm anybody. There's no point uh, in that. But when we have this kind of information, it allows us to know, okay, we should have more telescopes observing the sky for these threats and more scientists doing the research on how to avoid those threats because that's totally possible. Um, And then, you know, you've got people talking about how Mars has to be our our plan B, if you will, um, for other reasons, or we need to sprawl out before the sun kills everything off. These are all valid things to think about as far as space exploration is concerned, but I hate when it's the only argument because it just sounds like escapism from someone who's living in this time right now, thinking about their family and their moment in this life. So um, my my hope, my first, this is my super optimistic Uh, being coming through. I am hopeful that anybody that does go to space experiences the overview effect and that gives them this empathy elevating experience 
this perspective shift that they need to move forward in a way that is, quote, beneficial to the universe. That is part of Frank White's new book. So he wrote The Overview Effect in 1987. He wrote a new book called The Cosmic Hypothesis, which I highly recommend. Um, he believes that that is the case, but that we have to begin implementing that perspective now with people who aren't yet, you know, who haven't been to space, but are part of space exploration. And my hope is that we engage absolutely everyone in this conversation. So we move forward thoughtfully because there are things I'm not thinking about that need to be considered for sure. Um, but as far as uh, the people in the worlds that I'm so familiar with, there are not a lot of people that um, really only take that escape, escapism approach. It's just like they're kind of marketing that they mm. use. But I, I feel like, for example, Elon Musk is the easiest one to talk about because, you know, people feel like, oh, he's just trying to get everybody onto Mars and she's doing it in this way that could potentially be destructive. Now, this is something that we do need to talk about. I don't know. Um, I don't know what his plans are for potentially terraforming the planet or, you know, would we be destructive to any life forms that may exist there, which I really hope that we are not. Um, but he is someone that is talking about this in a new way lately. So, He's talking about expanding consciousness out into the universe, but also it's not a competition. I think that is really important to realize. This is not about exploring space and leaving Earth behind or like having two people divided in some strange way. Um, this is actually about learning from these other planets so that we understand our home planet better and our potential fate and what we can do. This is about diversifying our resources, mining from asteroids so that we stop taking so much from the earth. Um, Jeff Bezos is the owner of, uh, he's the founder of Blue Origin and also Amazon.com. And he famously says that he wants to turn the earth back into a national park. So he wants everyone living in space so that the earth returns to its natural, beautiful state and we can come here for vacation. So, you know, the people that are at the forefront of this are actually thinking about the earth in a very thoughtful and fond way. I mean, like I said, Elon Musk is a good example because while he can be seen as being this risky person who's only talking about taking everyone to Mars. Meanwhile, he is nearly single-handedly creating the best electric car company that exists, Tesla, right? So he's figuring out how to get people excited about electric vehicles. Oh, that's a really good one. Um, solar panels. He is creating solar roofs around the world. And, you know, this is also technology that he will be using on Mars. So the more that we get really... Um, creative about our solutions in space because we don't have resources to pull from, the more we can implement those things back home is what I'm trying to say. Um, so yeah, I, it is something that is at the top of my mind and it is in our little world. It's, it's, uh, there's a group of people that are just excited about getting off the planet and leaving this one behind, but it's a really small community. And I think that once we begin our trek out into space and we really consider 
the technologies that we'll need to do that and how we need to come together as a species to do that, it will make us more united right here to fix our problems right here, right now. Because we can't go the way that we are in this unhealthy state. We simply won't make it, you know? So, yeah. And I think it's funny when you were talking about that Jeff Bezos thing, like the fact of him owning Amazon.com, but then wanting to like return the earth to a national park (laughs) is like one of the most contradictory things I've ever had to wrap my brain around. Um, But it made me think about, you know, I mean, an Elon Musk as well. Like, yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend this past weekend and he brought up, I don't know if you know that guy, Milo Yapanopoulos or something. He's like this very ultra conservative, offensive gay man. Um, yeah. And he, he has said a lot of, you know, kind of inflammatory things and some of which I don't agree with, but some of which I do. Mm-hmm. And we had this discussion because he had said in a group of people like, I think it's really important that people like him exist, even though he might incite violence or say things that are offensive. Um, because I think it's important to like, um, I think it's important for people like Jeff Bezos, even an Elon Musk, even if those things are irresponsible for them to happen and take place so that we have to think about them or at least have the opportunity yeah. to think about them. Right. And at the end of the day, it's like all of our individual decisions what we're going to do with our lives or how we're going to absorb and metabolize what we're given. Um, and so I do kind of appreciate the, like, even when I don't agree with something or someone, especially when something is sort of like nuanced and paradoxical, because I think that's where, when it challenges you and makes you uncomfortable and you can't quite figure it out, like that's where you can deconstruct things and learn and get better. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you keep bringing it back home. I keep getting (laughs) off on these lofty things and you're like, here, this is it. This is the important integration piece. So I talk a lot about, um, depolarization, especially in our presentations. We're always trying to focus on that because we see this need to have difficult conversations. And if we're so polarized, it makes it very difficult because everybody comes to the conversation through fear, through that lens, you can't get anywhere. Hmm. And so, but someone, gosh, I wish I could remember who, you reminded me of a statement that someone recently made where, um, oh yes, Eric Weinstein's podcast, The Portal, he recently had an amazing guest on who was talking about her uh, familial history in Nazi Germany. And it is just like the most mind-blowing story. So I highly recommend it. But she was saying the polarization is actually helpful because it gets us to think about these things. Mm -hmm. So it's not always bad that we have polarizing topics. It's actually just how we then deal with them. And so... I love too that these rogue people exist and that we have to like suddenly come together and scramble and be like, wait, do we really want to do this? How do we want to do this? Oh my God, how this is already happening. And it it forces us to get our act together. Um, But I really think that there, for me, there's just nothing more important than getting everybody to the table. I think so many people think that space exploration, people on Mars, whatever, it just sounds like a lofty goal. That's not true. It is happening. I am here. I am at the launch pads. I have met the commercial crew astronauts that are going to fly on the SpaceX crew Dragon capsule. Um, I've, I've met other people who are going to space through other methods. 
I see the progress that these companies are making making, and there are no laws around it whatsoever. It's like old maritime laws that are governing space exploration right now. So you can basically just do whatever you want on Mars. Um, so this is this right now, this is the time because people are going to start flying through SpaceX come next year and the Starship uh, rocket, which is going to take all those people to Mars that's already been prototyped in Texas. It's being prototyped here in Florida. It is making a lot of progress, and that's not even considering uh, Blue Origin's progress on their rocket and others at Virgin Galactic. I mean, it, it's crazy that this is happening, and it's happening so fast. And we shouldn't just uh, be talking about space exploration because it's my little bubble world. It's actually artificial intelligence. All of these things you can't look at it and say, we shouldn't do that because it's happening with or without you. It, it is happening. What we have to do is inform ourselves on what's happening, what are the methods, and how do I feel about this? And then we need your voice at the table, right? So I feel like my job is to communicate the beauty of this experience and also the reality of the progress that's happening. And I hope to inspire people to get in here and bring their extremely necessary perspective. Um, everybody's going to have a new way of thinking about this stuff. And uh, it's, it's very complicated. It's just, it's too much for one individual. It's too much for one country. It's too much for one organization. It requires so many people to put all of this together. And as far as our humanity is considered, it's going to take all of us to come together and talk about how we move forward and how we make sure that we preserve this fragile, beautiful earth. And that goes for all the other planets and that goes for all the life forms that go along with it. Totally, man. I've every, after like every episode I record, I always say like, I could keep going forever. And I feel like sometimes I just say that to wrap it up, but I genuinely this time just like, like the, the amount of also parallels between the two of us is cool really crazy um, I know oh, I okay. it's I could talk forever about this but like I've actually I was hoping to talk less and learn way more about <laughs> you today so I kind of like bumped maybe we should just you know we just start, have a phone conversation know. we'll just be friends yeah let's just have a phone call let's do that <laughs> yeah. can we be friends yeah awesome official yeah <laughs> you good, heard it good. here first um <laughs> before we wrap up though a few things I want to hear I know you're starting a podcast I want to hear like a little bit about what you're sort of stoked on as far as cosmic perspective yes. goes um and then let people know where to find you um and lastly I ask all of my guests if they could recommend one book to the audience um mm -hmm. what would that be yeah yeah, The Overview Effect. Cool. That's the book that I would recommend to you. And there, that comes with a trilogy, but just start there and let me know what you think. You can find me and everything that we're doing at cosmicperspective.com. There is where you will find all of our social media accounts. Um, it is Consider the Cosmos nearly everywhere. And that is the name of our podcast, Consider the Cosmos, which will be uh, narrated by a one Kevin Russell, who is one of your previous guests and who connects the two of us. Kevin is absolutely wonderful. And he is in the phases of putting together the first few episodes. So I'm really excited because I've had like two years of uh, astronaut interviews and scientist interviews and like philosophers. I have just all of this crazy content. 
Um, plus every single day we're talking to someone new and amazing like Sasha Sagan. Um, but our first few episodes are going to feature Frank White, the author of The Overview Effect, who has now joined the Advisory Council for Cosmic Perspective. So he's amazing. a dear friend and deeply integrated in everything that we're doing. Um, Sasha Sagan will then be featured as well. And uh, we've, we've just got like this slew of amazing topics that will all center around, you know, the vibes that I have laid down here today where we're trying to kind of marry all of these ideas together and show our human potential. You know, it's, it's not really just about like this rocket is going off. We're going to have launch reports. We're going to be talking to people about these specific missions, but it's um, like missions to touch the sun, the Parker solar probe mission, for example, it's, it's going to be about the humans behind the mission. Um, the beautiful human that basically founded heliophysics, who everyone thought was completely insane, but he pushed on for 60 years. And now there's a spacecraft named after him. And we were with him at the launch. Like, we're going to be telling these human stories um, through uh, our podcast. And that goes as well for our mini docs, which are already available on our website. But the the really, really... Uh, the podcast is the most exciting thing to me because I've been wanting to get that going for years and now Kevin is here and he's doing it. Um, we also have three tracks. We've got uh, our story and film. So we're working on an augmented reality book, which was kickstarted back in July. That's going to be really exciting. Um, it's called Guidance Internal and a film by the same name. And then we have live productions. So if you know uh, My Morning Jacket, Patrick Callahan is the drummer and he has just joined our team and he's helping me produce these big. He's helping me dream big with the live productions. I'm really, really excited for what's coming there in the next year. And then um, our augmented and virtual reality experiences are so amazing. I don't know exactly where that's going. I just know that we'll be doing this at events and we're going to try to keep bringing that out into the world because it is this truly immersive exciting experience that like literally puts you right on the launch pad closer than anyone has ever been to a rocket launch but it tells the story it's it's not just a wow this is a cool you know vr experience it's it's that you're immersed in our story and you know we're guiding you through the way it's almost meditative so i am super excited for all of these things but you know like we talked about it's a mystery and i love that and i'm just like sinking into that it's one step forward at a time and who knows what's going to happen, but, uh, we're definitely excited and that's, uh, yeah, that's the journey. (laughs) I'm excited for you. Thank Um, you. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was like the best podcast portal vortex ever. I feel like I got so lost and engaged. So I really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you so much. This, I know it's been, I just looked at the clock. I was like, wow, how did we do it? (laughs) Hello again. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. I highly, highly recommend going out and checking um, Mary Liz and Ryan's website, cosmicperspective.com, and getting lost in their fucking amazing videos Um, and maybe crying like me. I don't know. Maybe I'm PMSing, but that shit makes me cry. It's so beautifully done um, and really profound in a way that is unexpected in a lot of ways. Um, I've really loved these conversations over the past couple weeks with Mary Liz and with Sasha Sagan about 
uh, science and spirituality, I feel like in my own journey, um, I'm really getting somewhere with all of this and really starting to sort of hone my own feelings and beliefs around this. And yeah, it's been cool to, to kind of be honest and vulnerable you, with you guys around my journey with all of this. Um, I definitely started this show as like a hyper astrology nerd and not to say that I don't still look at astrology charts and think about planets and archetypes because I do. Um, but that like most everything else in my life has evolved and changed and shifted and transformed and who knows where it will end up. But I like showing you guys the journey, um, in that respect and in many others in terms of how things change and shift because they always will. And that's okay. If we believe something and then decide we don't, it's fine to admit we were wrong or at least it's just not that way anymore. Um, so yeah, another reason why I'd love to have some people that I've already had on the show back on the show to showcase change and transformation even more, not just with myself, but with other people as well. I think it's always important to keep asking questions. I think the questions are the answer. So yeah, support the show. Even if that just means listening to it, that's enough. I'm really glad to be connected to all of you through this lovely, positive form of technology, in my opinion. Um, we happen to live in a really unnatural world where we are surrounded by people but feel really disconnected and isolated, and podcasts and other things like this help us connect with one another, which is needed, even if it involves sending stuff up to space and back and lots of technology and equipment. I think it's worth it. Today, I'm going to play you out with two songs because I couldn't decide and because they were both thematic and uh, I really like themes, you guys. I really like creating a mood. <laughs> um, so today, I'm going to play you with two songs. The first is by my brother. Uh, you can find his music on Spotify by searching M-E-E-K-A-K-A-T-E-S, Mika Cates. That's his name spelled phonetically. Um, lots of stuff on Spotify. He recorded, uh, what I'm about to play you was a live video that was recorded uh, when he was living in Australia. It's him uh, doing a cover of Fly Me to the Moon. And he does the whole thing um, acapella in one take, just looping himself, which is really hard, but to do it live in front of a video camera and have it be perfect is also really hard. It's just really impressive overall. I think the video is unlisted on YouTube, so I will put a link to the video in the description for this show. Uh, highly recommend watching it. The audio is great, but the video is better. Uh, so I'm going to play that today, an MP3 of that. And then, and also I just want to shout out to my brother because his music, an unfinished song of his plays in the intro to this podcast. And I also used, um, an unfinished song of his to play in the intro of Horror Report. So that's been really awesome. I'm really grateful to him. He's not making any music anymore, but I, uh, really hope he starts it again because he's really good at it. Um, and the second song is um, a song that Mary Liz uh, mentioned on the podcast. It's uh, called Anya and by her band Twin Limb. Um, it's Anya spelled slightly differently. It's A-I-N-E. And I guess it's based on there's an Irish goddess of summer uh, who I don't know anything about. And I really love mythology. I don't think I know anything about Irish mythology, though. Uh, so I am going to have to look into that. Anyway, uh, this is her song, Anya. You can find her music on Spotify as well, Twin Limb. 
And I guess that's all. Enjoy, guys. Love ya. Talk to you next week. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. Fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, please be true. In other words, please be true.